I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 53, we feature an interview with one of ESPN's top executives to shine more light on their soccer coverage. Plus, we discuss exciting news for this weekend's coverage of the Premier League, as well as how one major network may be losing the regional channels that broadcast a lot of soccer. Plus, we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined today by Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, how are you? I'm doing well, Chris. Thank you. All right. Well, actually, before we kick it off, just for the new listeners uh, who've had a chance to listen to either the interviews with Alexi Lalas or Rocco Comiso or the other episodes that uh, we, we have, um, this show is really focused on talking about the coverage of soccer, uh, like, like, like the, the tagline says, on TV, online and apps. So we go deep into everything from commentators in terms of production, um, uh, streaming in terms of all the different options that are out there, all the news that affects you, the TV or streaming viewer. And all of us love soccer, uh, so we'll jump right in. Kartik, so what have you been watching this past week? Well, we uh, taped our show last week right after the draw on FS1, which prevented me from watching live the ESPN FC draw special, which started right as soon as FS1 signed off at noon Eastern time on Friday or 11.30 a.m. Eastern time. I can't remember what time, but they they, they, they were uh, uh, courteous. They're not a rights holder. They didn't want to trip over um, Fox, but they had a special right after. And it, uh, I had DVR'd it. It blew FS1's away. The depth, uh, de- FS1's presentation and analysis, the depth of analysis um, and the na- knowledge of what I – I would call less sexy national teams, teams like Senegal, teams like Peru, teams like uh, Colombia and Australia. It just blew uh, anything we heard on Fox. Uh, There was, um, I think, the most noteworthy thing for me beyond just how good the show was, how good the analysis was. They even brought in Taylor Twelman, who was, uh, it's 9 o'clock in the morning there, 8.30 in the morning in Seattle, morning after the Seattle uh, playoff game against Houston, MLS playoff game. They brought Ian Dark on live from London. They had Stuart Robson and Gab Marcotti in studio along with Hercules Gomez, Alejandro Moreno, uh, Craig Burley, Shaka, the the usual suspects with Dan Thomas hosting. Um, The thing that was most noteworthy for me outside of everything that was well done was the 
on their former colleague, Roberto Martinez, who um, uh, is coaching Belgium, who is, depending on who you ask, a favorite in this tournament or a tournament that uh, a, a team that might just um, bomb out of the tournament. Craig Burley brings up Belgium uh, when they go to the group that Belgium is in, which includes England, by the way, uh, when he mentioned you just you started rattling off the names of their from uh, to, uh, front of the pitch, from forward, backwards, basically saying Lukaku, Mertens, uh, De Bruyne, Hazard. And um, it was at that point the debate really kicked off because then um, Marcotti, who likes Belgium, liked, likes their personnel, said, well, if you, now that you've named those first four guys, uh, that's as good as what we're talking about with France and Germany in the same positions, right? We're, we're saying they're the favorites in this tournament, and Brazil, they're the favorites in this tournament, the, the guys you've just named, um, and you could keep going, obviously, with the Belgian team. Then Stuart Robson got in the middle of it saying, essentially, that uh, he didn't have any faith in Roberto Martinez as a manager, and that's something that I can concur with from the Premier League days. The closest Roberto Martinez ever has gotten to the World Cup is sitting on this set with us uh, at ESPN these last few World Cups. And then there was a vigorous debate on about Martinez. But um, I found that interesting because uh, – uh, Robson was basically saying he's never been to the World Cup as a player. He's never been to the World Cup as a manager. He has only been to the World Cup like the rest of us here on this the set. And that kind of sh- shaped the rest of the discussion about Belgium. Uh, I, I, I'll say this. I mean, I tend to be someone who, and I think anyone who listens to the show knows this, leans a lot on history in my analysis. But with Belgium um, – it's difficult because they don't have that, that footballing pedigree or history, but the names and the qualities just seem too good to, to write them off, um, especially when there are flaws in all the other top teams right now, in my opinion. So uh, that's where I, I, I stand on that. Yeah, Stuart, Stuart Rob, Robson's uh, – I, I missed it, but his criticism of Roberto Martinez, he could say, say the thing, same thing about uh, Jose Mar- uh, Mourinho. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't a player, uh, never been yeah. cl- close yeah. to a World Cup. Um, I'm sure at some point in his career, uh, Jose will get a chance to manage a, a national team. But uh, a little bit of unfair criticism of R- Roberto Martinez. W- when you mentioned Roberto Martinez, Kartik, I had a think in the back of my head. I was like thinking, like, well, what if this could be a, a potential U.S. national team manager in the future if Belgium crash out and or maybe crash out of, of the second round? Uh, I'm sure he's on a long-term contract, but he's the type of figure that uh, is very char- charismatic. Uh, very analytical. Uh, he's been one of the biggest hits from the World Cups uh, on ESPN in uh, the last few years, or last few tournaments. But there's a lot, of, of course, there's a lot of question marks about his uh, coaching style. But you never know. Maybe not uh, this cycle, but maybe in a few years from now, we could see uh, Martinez uh, at least interviewing for the job. You are not the first person to mention that to me in the soccer media in this country, and you aren't the second person either. There are two other prominent media members who uh, privately have had that conversation with me that that for them would be the ideal U.S. soccer coach or U.S. men's national team coach after the World Cup because uh, he obviously has a depth of understanding of of, of the United States from his ESPN work. Uh, He's lived the majority of his life now, basically his whole adult life in Wales or Scotland or England, and he uh, uh, has a progressive style of football. So uh, and he and, and the thinking is he would be attainable, unlike some of the other names you hear. Right. Um, plus, so plus, maybe. Plus, plus Klinsman, I mean, that's how he got the job, remember? It was like, what, it was 
was it the 2008 Euros or was it the 2006 uh, World Cup where he was working uh, for ESPN as an analyst and critiquing the U.S. men's – it would have been the 2006 uh, World Cup probably or 2010. I don't know, 10. but 2010, 10. and critiquing the U.S. men's national team and, and um, being very intelligent, very smart, um, paved the way really for, uh, for him to get the job for the U.S. men's national team. And Martinez, too, I can see him being a very clinical, kind of a, uh, premeditated type of person in a good way in terms of uh, his career path, and uh, I'm sure that the thought has crossed his mind uh, in the past. And obviously Belgium's a fantastic opportunity with... Uh, in an amazing uh, list of players on a piece of paper. We'll have to wait and see if they can uh, turn it on in the World Cup, though. Yeah, and I should mention Stuart Robson. I don't know if this is another dig at Arsenal and at uh, uh, Wenger, but he uh, he had to have a pop at uh, Thierry Henry in this, in this diatribe also, talking about he has an assistant that has no experience managing anywhere. And I knew, we knew who we were talking about, especially given it's Stuart Robson. Um I don't know that that matters. I think I think Henri is uh, a guy who who's won a World Cup and has gotten to another final. I think that's given that this is an international job and not uh, the number two at a club team mm-hmm. in England. I think actually he's probably the perfect guy to have. Honestly, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's a tough one too because uh, there's obviously a school of thought in terms of somebody that's gone through that's you mean done the coaching badges, which I know Thierry Henri is going through that process but has the experience and uh, maybe there's some more experienced coaches out there that would be great assistant coaches. But, uh, but sometimes you need kind of that fresh perspective and somebody that uh, the players can perhaps respect more on a player level and, and learn from. Um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. That, that'll be a fascinating story to watch um, in the World Cup for sure. Yeah, before I move on, I uh, should mention on that, Henri also obviously speaks French, and uh, Martinez doesn't. Martinez, maybe he's learning now, but he, he has been communicating with his players in English, and uh, as terrible as I might sign country that's split between what are essentially French speakers um, and uh, Dutch speech- speakers, the reality is I think everybody speaks English, <laughs> so uh, it, it, it's okay. Anyway, moving on, uh, that same day, uh, shortly after Leeds versus Aston Villa, uh, John Champion was on the call. Uh, I did not get to finish this. This is the wonderful thing about ESPN3, by the way, Chris. I did not get to finish watching this game live, and I came back and resumed it from the same point on ESPN3 because it holds your place. Uh, two and a half days later, Sunday night, and finished up watching, closed my weekend out with John Champion. I opened my weekend with John Champion also, Imagine. calling this game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, the way, it should, that's the way it should work. So that, that's, that's fantastic. And hats off to BAMTEC for, uh, I mean, really uh, improving, I think, the, the broadcast signal in terms of the quality. But, yeah, that's uh, for, for those who haven't had a chance to watch the championship uh, much lately. Um, I, myself included, uh, definitely check out uh, ESPN3, which you can get uh, through your cable provider or through Sling Orange uh, if you don't have a uh, if you're a cord cutter like myself. Yeah, I, I should actually say I closed my weekend out with Wolves in Birmingham City in the championship on Monday, a Monday afternoon fixture again on ESPN3, and uh, I, I have to say this: I don't know if it's uh, the signal from from Bamtech and from the EFL Productions in London, I think the actual color and camera work for a lot of these championship games might be better than some of what I'm seeing from Premier League Productions. Maybe that's a bit of a stretch. Maybe I'm being too critical, but I uh, I really like the, the just the uh, um, 
I, I like the production. I, I think that that's really improved. The championship games, when you would watch them, let's say, but even before they were on BN, when they were on Fox Soccer Channel, it just seemed to be very low-end production compared to the Premier League. And I, I think yeah. they've taken the best from Premier League productions, incorporated it um, in their broadcasts, and then they've got some other um, uh, uh, good camera work. I guess where there would be the drop-off is that they don't have the two-man booths. They don't have those really good co-commentators uh, in the booth like Premier League Productions does or like the broadcasters from the Premier League do. But I really have enjoyed uh, – so, so I watched two championship games this weekend. Uh, really I'm big – beginning to enjoy that league again, as I used to uh, many years ago. Um, moving on, uh, Arsenal and Man United, uh, a game I think uh, just about everybody probably watched, a three-man booth for NBC. I, I have to say again, and this has been a, a constant theme on this show, Chris, that Arlo White does a lot of talking. And it's noticeable in games with as much back-and-forth action as this match this match was a cracker by any definition it was one of the best or i should say not best because i think there were a lot of defensive errors one of the most entertaining matches of football you'll ever see alongside that schalke dortmund game we talked about uh, last right. week with yeah. golden keith costigan on on fs1 uh, this was wildly entertaining but um, unlike Costigan and Holden, uh, there was a lot more chatter going on. And I, I don't think it's necessarily because of Lasso and, and Dixon. It's because White uh, talks a lot and has to describe and enunciate everything, which I think does appeal to a certain segment uh, of the audience and, and will point out that I thought it was perfectly fine the next day he called Man City and West Ham and he that game was a little more labored it was a little slower uh, in, in the build-up play and I, and I kind of enjoy a commentator who has anecdotes and uh, can keep you engaged in the match in that situation and I think White's perfect for those sorts of occasions but for this game uh, it, it was just it was too much, yeah. honestly. That, that's the thing, though, too, for the listeners who may have missed it. I mean, definitely go back and listen to our interview with uh, John Champion uh, and Taylor Twellman that we did. Uh, it would have been uh, this past summer for the International Champions Cup. But John Champion talks about uh, really the art of commentating. And his, um, his philosophy is knowing when to be quiet, knowing when to be silent. Because many, in many ways, the game will speak for itself in terms of the action. Martin Tyler is probably a, also another perfectionist at this in terms of letting the game breathe. And, and that's a huge, huge difference to how American sports are co commentated. And the reason really that Arlo White, even though he's an, Eng an Englishman with an English accent, to me is very American in terms of um, just the way he commentates games, uh, he grew up, I think, for, for uh, part of his life in the United States, too, and visited here a lot. But to me, he's an, an American with an English accent. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that. It just, it's, uh, it's just the style. And like you said, too, Kartik, with a game like Arsenal-Man United, where it's end-to-end -end action, back and forth, let the game breathe. Let the game talk for itself. And definitely fill in some, some, some spaces in terms of, uh, you mean, Arlo, um, I mean, Lee Dixon or Graham Lasso adding some really fantastic analysis which uh, they often do or a joke here and there but uh although i mean that's the biggest criticism i think i have of him is just the lack of flexibility in terms of he has his one way of doing things and there he goes um but for a game like arsenal man united where you want to change your style a little bit uh i don't think he's able to do it yeah and 
you could say he's got a more American style, and I guess that might be the case if you watch uh, MLS games on the local channels or the local broadcast. They have very chatty announcers, a lot of guys who do other sports. But uh, I have to say, even when you talk about what are soccer-specific guys or what are almost soccer-specific guys uh, now in the case of John Strong and, and J.P. Delacam, or J.P. still has done the hockey from time to time, they're less chatty when it comes – they will be when they need to be, right? But they're able to, to adjust if they're in a game, calling a game like this. And I've noticed this with some very good Bundesliga games or Champions League games John Strong's called. He has changed his uh, commentary style. He has adjusted to the reality of that particular match, which is that you need to let – uh, the game breathe, and you don't have to enunciate every single thing. So I, I think, if anything, Arlo White has got his own style because the Amer- the top Americans calling this sport are not as uh, are not mimicking him necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if uh, John Strong could ever uh, work for NBC again. He did in the past before, uh, obviously with the, his contract with Fox and with the World Cup, and I'm sure getting at the World Cup final. And future World Cups to come, that won't happen. I mean, probably for another probably decade. But it would have been it would have, it would have been interesting to see John Strong in all the white spot to see how things might be a little bit different. Um, but that's not going to happen, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, because of our internal, the one real, real, real intense derby we have in this country is between Seattle and Portland, and their fans uh, act accordingly, like fans do in England and Germany and, and other countries about their rivals. The John Strong, Arlo White conversation is always a difficult one to have in this country because Seattle fans reflexively take Arlo White's side and Portland fans reflexively take John Strong's uh, uh side so uh, it's almost i almost wish that it were two other commentators we were having these conversations yeah. and the top commentators at two of the networks were uh tied to different uh allegiances or different clubs in, in their previous work in uh in in soccer so anyway moving on uh, talked about man city west ham talked about uh birmingham city and wolves wolves very very good very entertaining they're going to be in the premier league next year almost certainly uh let's talk a little bit about the espn fc show Stuart robson continued his stay in Bristol from uh, Sunday to Tuesday, which just gives so much value uh, to um, the analysis. Robson knows I, – I, I, I don't know how he knows so much about football, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we had this conversation before on this show, but even MLS, when it's coming up with Herc Gomez or Ali Moreno, he's able to chime in some very analytical points um, and um, – in, in the Robson way, be kind of argumentative, but but make sense, and he's usually right, right? I'm not sure he's right about Belgium, but in most other cases, he, he's right. So uh, excellent uh, that he was able to stay on for a few days in studio. They get him often via satellite from London, but he was actually in studio uh, this week, both Friday and then um, Sunday, Monday, four times, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. New set for ESPN FC. Um, I'm getting used to it. I guess it's snazzy in a sense that it looks more modern and technological, but the green is gone, which has been kind of the, the green and blue motif, which has been kind of the trademark of the show since the show launched in the summer of 2013. Uh, yeah, uh, and prior to that one, they, they had press pass. They had a very kind of defined look as well. This looks just like um, any other ESPN studio show. So I'm not sure I um, – I'm in love with it yet, but it'll grow on me. And let, yeah, let, let me chime in on, on that one too, Carter. Another thing that's uh, related but slightly different is that uh, 
A lot of the uh, listeners may have noticed, or some of them may have noticed, that ESPNFC.com has gone, the actual website, so correct, it's, correct. which is in conjunction with the, the actual show. But what they've done is ESPNFC now um, redirects to ESPN.com. So what they've done is they've rolled a lot of the, the soccer coverage into the ESPN.com website. Uh, I know we talked about this last week, that there were layoffs at ESPN. A lot of the layoffs that happened were on the production side and kind of the um, behind-the-scenes the, behind staff. I'm not sure. It, it sounds like maybe a lot of those layoffs or some of those layoffs were on the digital side, and that might be a reason why they've kind of rolled things under. But in terms of timing, I think that uh, it's not coincidental that um, – the ESPN FC change on the website happened at the same time or pretty close to it uh, for the actual set on the TV side too. Yeah, I, I think that um, now when you're in the ESPN uh, soccer site, if you go to ESPNFC.com, it redirects you to the regular ESPN site and there's a soccer tab at the top on the top bar uh, along college football, college basketball, NFL, NBA, whatever else. Uh, it's one of the featured ones. You don't have to go into the more menu. And it's now same content just kind of embedded in the ESPN uh, site. Uh, one other note on this, uh, Chris, they're going – they're not quite at the foxsports.com uh, or foxsoccer.com level yet of – uh, going from written content to video, but they have gone since these layoffs. I've noticed much more video heavy. There's far less written content on the ESPN.com uh, sites or ESPN.com. Uh, you know, each tab, college football, college basketball, soccer, than there used to be. Uh, there is still some written content. You will still get articles from Jeff Carlisle and Gab Marcotti uh, most prominently on there, but there's more videos. And there is more wire service reports. Hmm. Yep, yep. Changing times, unfortunately. So what else, Kartik, have you been watching? Anything else? Uh, no, I guess the uh, ESPN FC Wednesday Kathy Carter interview uh, by Alexis Nunez, which was a bunch of softballs and has created a uh, a, a litany of uh, controversy, controversy, I would say, for lack of better description uh, in the social media world of American soccer. Uh, I guess the sense is that ESPN FC has not booked other candidates for U.S. soccer president, uh, whether it be Carlos Cordero, who's a sitting member of the U.S. soccer board, whether Steve Gans is a very respected attorney uh, and who has represented multiple entities in soccer on both sides of the Atlantic, uh, Premier League clubs and uh, uh, youth clubs and youth associations and soccer associations in the U.S., or it be uh, Eric Winalda and Kyle Martino, who are on uh, leave from rival networks. So, um, there was a, a significant backlash, at least among the more critical elements of U.S. soccer to begin with, by about this interview being granted to begin with. And then um, she didn't have much to say, honestly. It, it was almost like one of these uh, personal profiles rather than uh, any sort of critical uh, analysis or critical interview related to this race that she's just entered. Yeah, it was really disappointing. I mean, I mean, ESPN we hold in high regard in terms of their uh, journalistic um, side of things or even t television coverage side of things. They're, they're not perfect by any means, but uh, in many ways they 
they, they, they try hard. But in this case, it was a really, really poor interview. And I, I watched it, and it was word for word. I mean, her answer sounded exactly like something that uh, Don Garber or Sunil Galati would say. Uh, she may as well have had the words uh, status quo uh, printed on her forehead. I mean, even her mannerisms, even the way that she answered the questions, uh, is very, to me, robotic in, in a way that uh, it, it was almost like a clone of Don, Don Garber or a clone of Sunil Gulati. Yeah. It was very, very, I mean, I watched this, I was, I, I just, I was like, this is ridiculous. Okay. Look, uh, Chris, I, I, I and others are looking for a reason to believe that she may not be Sunil Gulati or Don Garber because uh, I, I think some of us are very much uh, fascinated with the idea of having a woman lead U.S. soccer. But uh, her, her, the way she's answered questions, the way she's conducted herself in the first few days uh, just reinforces all of the, the negative fears we have those who want reform in the sport and want a different direction in the sport of this country have of someone who is as um, tied to, um, uh, to, 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 to the establishment. And, and uh, w- one of the other candidates running for uh, U.S. soccer president, I'm not going to say who, uh, and I conversed yesterday and you know, this person reminded me that uh, uh, Kathy Carter was actually there at uh, MLS when they started MLS. Right, so she is the very embodiment of the establishment. She predates Don Garber in terms of her involvement with Major League Soccer. So um, it's it's a thing that I I would like to see maybe her step out a little more, but very, very cautious, very programmed, very rehearsed, very uninspiring is how I would describe that interview. Yeah, and if there's a written transcript of this interview available, it it would, I mean, if you replace the words uh, Kathy Carter with Don Garber, or Sunil Galati, it, w- it would sound word for word uh, exactly like something that they would say. Very, very non-specific. Very kind of just um, pie in the sky. Very much, um, yeah. We need to look at that type of thing, but no real answers there. So, yeah, really disappointing um, debut in terms of uh, the interview from uh, by her, but also the interview that ESPN gave her, which is extremely weak in terms of uh, the questions they, uh, she was asked. And, and it sounded like it was almost like pre-rehearsed uh, in terms of she knew what the questions were ahead of time, but we don't know, know that for sure. In terms of some of the other things I watched so this past week in Kartik, uh, as you know, I've got four kids. Uh, three of them uh, play soccer actively. So uh, this entire weekend was... Um, I, was pr- I, I watched hardly any soccer, which is probably the first time since last summer, perhaps, uh, that I actually did watch so little soccer. So <laughs> hardly, sorry, hard, I, I, sorry to cut sorry. you off, but hardly ever, any uh, professional soccer on television. I bet you were watching soccer all weekend. <laughs> well, uh, the, the time that I did have to watch, uh, I watched 100% soccer, uh, except for Curb uh, Your Enthusiasm on, on uh, Sunday night. But I did get to watch Soak Against Swansea. Uh, that one I watched live, actually, before uh, one of my kids' games. And um, and I, th- I think I mentioned this maybe on the podcast maybe two months ago, maybe three months ago, probably two months ago. The Swans, you definitely are going to go down. And uh, no surprise in this game in terms of their defeat. And no surprise that they're bottom of the table. It's just a, it's just uh, the worst Swansea team I've, I've seen in probably in a couple of decades. It's absolutely pathetic. So uh, they're, 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 they're done and dusted unless there's some big changes. But uh, supposedly... No change is going to happen until uh, at a minimum after the January transfer window, and by that point, it's going to be too late. Uh, in terms of some of the other coverage I watched, I watched the Athletic uh, uh, Bilbao against uh, Real Madrid first half on BN Sports. 
didn't get a chance to watch the second half. And then uh, I watched the Arsenal Man United game on uh, on highlights. And that one, I think I did because I'm a cord cutter. I missed the game live. I forgot to record it. And I think I watched it on NBC Sports uh, app. And I logged in using my Fubo TV credentials so I could go ahead and see, you mean like the, the five minutes or, or 10 minute uh, highlight reel of that one. On Tuesday and Wednesday, I watched uh, the UEFA Champions League. And for me, Kartik, at this point, uh, the only way for me to watch Champions League right now is, uh, unless there's a huge match on that, that I can't miss, is Multi-Match 90 and with uh, Ross Dyer. And to me, that's the best way to experience uh, the Champions League um, when I don't have a team that's in the tournament that I, I, I'm uh, hoping that, uh, that they'll win, of course. But, of course, Swansea's nowhere near <laughs> that. But watching the Multimatch 90, to me, is a fantastic experience, just watching the goals, goals flying in back and forth, and especially Wednesday, too, with Liverpool just uh, winning 7-0 against Spartak and goals flying in uh, Real Madrid uh, against Dortmund and so on and so forth. But really um, a very entertaining way to watch soccer, and um, just just a great experience. And of course, on, on Tuesday, on the uh, UEFA Champions League pre-game show, uh, which is a pre-game show, but all, all, oftentimes, almost always, they have the Grant Wall news segment, and they led off with the Kathy Carter uh, story, which I thought was just really unfair to a lot of the other candidates, uh, including Carl Martino, uh, Eric Winalda, Steve Gans. And, and these others that uh, have had very little, uh, if, if any, media exposure in that new segment. But uh, they led off with the uh, very predictable. Uh, it, it must, it, I mean, we've been talking about this for months, but it just seems so easy in terms of the way it's set up, in terms of Grant Wall being fed stories, or it seems that way, being fed stories and uh, regurgitating those stories on, in that Tuesday or, or Wednesday news slot. Any thoughts on that, Kartik? Yeah, it, it, it's um, becoming a um, it's becoming a, a, a real uh, talking point among folks because I, I had mentioned many many uh, weeks ago on this program that I felt like uh, um, that I felt like perhaps Grant Wall was being used by his, some of his sources and particularly sources in U.S. soccer or in Major League Soccer to flow trial balloons. Now, I have some degree of confirmation of that by a source on deep background who would know, uh, who told me the original uh, – not, not, not his report on, uh, on Fox because that was already um, – that was already after Kathy Carter got into this race, but his initial tweet on Friday or Saturday, I can't remember when it was, was in fact trial balloon to see how it, how it went. Uh, and once that, uh, and that had been leaked to him by design. And once that, w- that, that uh, trial balloon was floated, it seemed to be okay. They made the switcheroo in, in terms of, uh, um, in terms of how um, uh, Galati getting out and Carter getting in. Now, in terms of the lack of exposure on this Fox pregame show that Winalda, who's so obviously a Fox employee on leave of absence, Akal Martino, formerly who worked for Fox and uh, now is with NBC, and Steve Gans, Carlos Cordero. Carlos Cordero, I guess, has gotten a mention, but not nothing quite like uh, the, the, the segment with Kathy Carter, uh, et cetera. Um, 
that's that I think is pretty significant. Uh, there has been really no discussion of wh- how the race is shaped up uh, outside of the the very elite executive uh, MLS. Uh, U.S. soccer boardroom status, right, where it's a battle between Carter and Cordero, Cordero representing, um, at least in terms of that framework, more of a reformer than Carter. Uh, but Fox uh, and this pregame show have not discussed uh, the, the, the masses on the grassroots level, which include people who actually do vote in this election, because people will just say, oh, that's Twitter, that's uh, fans, that's supporters, whatever. We all know that they're, that, that they're angry at U.S. soccer. There are a lot of people uh, at the adult association and youth level, AYSO level, uh, the uh, uh, small amateur league level who are fed up with U.S. soccer, who are going to back someone other than Cordero or uh, or um, Carter mm-hmm. that are uh, the, 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 the most attractive candidates to them right now are Winalda, Gans, and Martino. And there's not very much discussion of that uh, while they talk about this race. So I think it's a little bit incomplete. Uh, and maybe uh, Grant Wall, since uh, he is a, a good reporter in some respects, uh, will talk to people. Uh, and get that perspective uh, in the next few mo- uh, weeks. Although I don't know if he's talking to the right people. I don't know what's going on. But uh, I would caution people who are uh, basing their perceptions of the race on what they're seeing on Fox uh, that it's not uh, the race is not uh, quite going the way that uh, they might be shaping it in these segments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think it's any collusion by Fox in terms of uh, the relationship with USSF or MLS. I think it's just in many ways that um, – what it seems to be, again, from, this is from the outside looking in, it just seems to be so easy in terms of uh, whether it's USSF or Major League Soccer uh, going to Grant Wall and feeding him with these opportunities, these exclusives to run these stories, knowing the news cycle is so predictable in terms of you mean having some news that they can announce on a Tuesday broadcast, maybe on a Monday. Kathy Carter, in a New York Times piece, uh, announces that she's going to run. And then on Tuesday, then, uh, it's an opportunity for Grant Wall then to uh, talk about, have an exclusive interview with with Kathy Carter and then reveal some of those findings there. And at the same time, Fox has a relationship with uh, Sports Illustrated. And at the very same time, Sports Illustrated runs that story, which is really a recap of what Grant talks about on the Tuesday uh, news segment. But it's become so predictable in many ways, I think. um, And that's, I don't know, it just seems to be, it's almost like that uh, it's propaganda hour or propaganda 10 minutes that uh, USSF and MLS knows, you mean knows in terms of having the relationship with Grant Wall, feeding him the stories and then Grant uh, go ahead and, and actually breaking the stories on the Tuesday and then you mean the masses kind of react to that and uh, you mean retweet the news or break the news, uh, you mean share the news out and, and there it goes. Uh, to me, at the end of the day, not that, not that there's anything wrong with that, but to me, I'd like to see Grant be more fair and balanced in terms of not just having all these USSF stories or these Major League Soccer stories, but uh, talking about some of the other leagues, talking about some of the other individuals, but uh, not being so, you mean, to me, almost like transparent in terms of uh, how much he's pushing the USSF agenda. In, in fairness, um I will. I will say that we used Grant Wall's segment on that Fox uh, pregame show to, to break a story about uh, the fourth quarter strikers in NASL, and I was involved in that leak. So um, he, he will talk about uh, non-MLS stories or non-USSF stories from time to time, but uh, it's far and few between. Yeah, but Kartik, when, when was that? Like two years ago? 
Yeah, yeah, it was over. It was yeah, it was a guy two years ago. It was the corresponding right. match day two years ago. Yeah. No, no, sorry, three years ago. Oh my God! Wow. 2014. Yeah, yeah, December 2014. So correct. Uh, yeah, it is. My point is that it's gotten less and less frequent. Those sorts of things now uh, down the road. Mm-hmm. So, so unfortunately, we're in a position where um, I think they. Um, and I, and I get this. If you're a journalist and you are in the media and you're at an MLS or U.S. soccer rights holder, it's the same thing because of Soccer United Marketing negotiating a joint contract for uh, for those two entities. Uh, there, there is some nervousness about uh, how you cover this race because it, I think it's pretty clear. Look, uh, this isn't well, I, this isn't company secret here. It's pretty clear the people the public that be don't like Eric Winalda, right? That that's absolutely clear. Mm-hmm. The powers that U.S. Soccer and Major League Soccer, how they feel about Gans and Martino, they probably don't like those guys very much either. Do they dislike him as much as Winalda? Probably not. But uh, do they want to take a chance with either of those two guys right now? Probably not either. So, um, and then you've got Lapointe and, and Vinograd also saying. Interesting things. Not sure if those two guys will be uh, in it for the long haul, but uh, you've got five candidates saying very, very interesting, compelling things about reforming the system. Uh, and then you've got Cordero, who now is beginning to make noises about reform. So maybe it's your natural instinct if you're in the system, you're at a network that is a rights holder just to kind of gravitate back towards that safe position. And that's human nature. It's not about being in the tank. It's not be about being uh, on the take. Uh, I think we all have those those instincts if you're in an environment. And so at this point, for those people, Chris, I think Kathy Carter and uh, discussing her and maybe even advocating for her to a certain extent is a very safe and logical place to be. Uh, it's not where you and I are or where most of our listeners are, but I, I can kind of relate to it. I can understand it. Yeah, 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 definitely. It's uh, it will be an interesting story to continue to watch very closely, and and of course we'll be uh, covering it from now through till February, and uh, hopefully getting some of these candidates maybe on the show to to interview. But it's uh, yeah, it's it's fascinating news and a fascinating time in U.S. soccer history. So, Carter, let's move on to TV streaming news. Yeah, and uh, uh, first thing I'll, I'll mention before we get right into our news uh, segment is that uh, there have been MLS Cup ads running constantly on ESPN networks during college basketball games. Uh, watched uh, four games this week, uh, two Florida games, uh, one Miami game, and then another game, a Texas A&M Arizona game. Uh, MLS Cup ads twice during all four games. So that's fantastic uh, promotion by uh, by uh, ESPN. Um so I, a lot of people heard this during the Arsenal-Manchester United game, and it, it piped people's interest. Roberto Martinez, who we've talked about earlier in this show in reference to his management of Belgium, will join NBC Sports uh, in the studio this week for the Manchester Derby uh, and presumably also for the Merseyside Derby, which is right before um, – the Manchester Derby, and he previously managed in that match. Uh, Derek Ray will commentate on the Merseyside Derby this weekend, which is right before the Manchester Derby. Sunday is going to be uh, just such an exciting day in the uh, in the northwest of England. Yeah, in, in some ways, I mean, Carl Martina going on hiatus um, with NBC until the, the election's over. 
uh, has actually brought us some interesting people coming in to uh, appear on NBC Sports, kind of mixing things up. We talked last week about Mark Clattenburg and then, uh, and then this weekend with uh, Roberto Martinez. Um, Roberto is a, g- a great studio person, so hopefully they can get the best out of him in terms of his uh, really intelligent uh, analysis. And uh, he's a great watch. And I, I really enjoy uh, watching him when he's in the studio. Moving on, uh, uh, the next news is that Disney is reportedly in talks to acquire Fox Sports regional networks, but not FS1, in a potential 21st century Fox sale. Now, this could be huge news uh, for sports fans in the United States. For those of us who are used to watching everything from Fox Sports Florida, Fox Sports uh, Arizona, you go down the list, there's there's tons of these Fox Sports regional channels. Well, Disney is uh, reportedly looking to acquire these. And by doing so, uh, this would be a huge, um, huge coup, huge win for ESPN in terms of then changing those networks to ESPN regional networks. From a soccer-specific side, I don't think Kartik is going to make that much of a difference, especially with uh, Fox losing the Champions League and the Europa League uh, rights next season. That's oftentimes the overflow channel for um, you know, some of the Tuesday games and sometimes on Wednesdays uh, for the Fox Sports regional networks to have those. But without the Champions League and without Europa League, it's not going to be as much of an issue. Uh, it could be an issue, though, for future World Cups. You mean if there's if it's, uh, several games, well, usually two games that are probably the most going on at once. Uh, it's a good opportunity for Fox to use those channels. But uh, what do you think? A big loss or no big deal? It's, uh, it's an interesting conversation because they have been using those channels uh, since uh, we had a phone call, I think, in 2009 with Dave. Right, where we talked about um, uh, the use of the Fox Sports regional channel and, and how that gave Fox an extra stream of distribution. And this was at a time when they didn't have FS1 and FS2. So actually at the time, it may have been their greatest scope out of FX and uh, Fox over the air. I, I think it is fairly significant because, you've, as you mentioned, Champions League games have been put on there. There are often um, – you may not be aware of this because you may not check the program – for, for Fox uh, affiliate Sun Sports or, or Fox Sports Florida. We have two regional channels here in, in the state that, that we get. Uh, but they show a lot of Bundesliga and uh, Champions League games on tape delay. Yep. You know, a repeat. They're not, they're not on tape delay. They've been shown on some other network, and they're being re-aired uh, during the course of the week. And uh, just uh, on Tuesday, there was a game – uh, a college basketball game I went to find on ESPN3, which was an ACC Network Extra game. And the ACC Network itself is going to be an ESPN production launching, I believe, in 2018 or 2019. And that game was blacked out for me on my ESPN3. Turned out it had been given to the Fox Sports regional affiliate, one of the two here in Florida, uh, a Miami Hurricanes game to air uh, on a Fox Sports regional thing, even though it was an ESPN production. So there's already um, some bleed there, and I think it would be significant. Another point I want to make, it depends when the sale is closed, but National Geographic Channel is included in this in this proposal. They are going to be producing a lot of content for uh, Fox's coverage of the World Cup and presumably going forward for Fox's coverage of uh, international soccer events. So I don't know how that works out. If, if Fox Sports is cut off from the uh, capabilities, the documentary filmmaking capabilities of the National Ge- uh, Nat Geo, uh, what happens? 
Yeah, Kartik, that's a good point about the Bundesliga. It's uh, actually there's a ton of those games that are on, oftentimes on uh, reruns there, and and so the biggest loser in this, from a soccer uh, perspective, actually could be the Bundesliga, which is which is a shame. Yeah. All right, Kartik, moving on. Yeah, the EFL has issued a RFP a request for a proposal to potential partners as it seeks to offer its central. Uh, it seeks offers for its central broadcast production requirements. The RFP covers all of EFL's broadcasting requirements from filming and distributing over 1,500 matches every season to domestic and international audiences to delivering enhanced production values for the live streaming of games uh, online via the EFL's new digital plat- platform, iFollow. Uh, there have been lots of complaints, Chris, as you know, yep. uh, to us by fans of specific football league clubs of iFollow. Yet, as I said earlier in this show, every time I watch a game on ESPN3, I'm blown away by the production. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so there, uh, there's obviously a drop-off in the production capability from the games that they're, they're showing uh, as, as a uh, feature game versus uh, the games that are being dumped onto the uh, uh, iFollow uh, platform. So I guess they're probably just going to try and make the, the production more consistent now. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there too, Kartik. This, uh, this announcement by the EFL really, to me, is more about iFollow. I think from the TV production side, yes, improvements can be made. And perhaps maybe, uh, you know, whether it's IMG or TWI or some other broadcasting production company could come in and perhaps do, do things differently. But to me, it's really about iFollow, especially with iFollow being... Uh, really the way, the future that um, the championship and the EFL is looking at in terms of uh, generating revenue and having people around the world subscribing to iFollow channels for each of the clubs in the Football League that are participating, which is the vast majority. I think it's all about iFollow. And and like you said, too, we've we've gotten a lot of complaints from people that have have had um, tough experiences uh, with iFollow. And uh, I haven't had a chance to actually check it out this season. I, I do plan on doing so. But, uh, yeah, yeah, big statement there from uh, EFL. And uh, hopefully this is a, a sign of an improvement. And hopefully it's going to be one of those things that won't be too late. Now, moving on to the last segment of the uh, oh, the last uh, news item. And that's uh, DirecTV Now, the streaming package that's uh, separate than DirecTV. And you don't need a uh, DirecTV uh, subscription to get. It's their uh, streaming uh, service. Um, it's hit 1 million subscribers. Now, this is uh, fantastic news for DirecTV now in uh, just, just less than a year, really, or about a, about a year since launching. They've hit that 1 million mark. Uh, I think in many ways what they've done, too, is for people that were thinking about canceling the DirecTV package, uh, they've offered the DirecTV now as an opportunity to... You mean get rid of the satellite dish, but still keep on streaming um, and stream all of your favorite channels, including many of the soccer channels. And at the same time, PlayStation View is going through some tough times. It's moving some of its Fox Sports networks uh, to the sports add-on package, which is additional cost. Uh, while at the same time, both uh, Fubo and DirecTV now have, have been adding uh, more and more of the, uh, the Fox networks uh, to a whole bunch of the cities nationwide. So... Uh, you mean changing times? I mean, DirecTV now is on the up. Uh, PlayStation View is going through some tough times. 
but uh, Fubo and uh, others are picking up the pieces. Let, let me make, mention something real quickly here, Chris. My understanding is some of the people who have subscribed to DirecTV now in the last year are former Uverse subscribers who, um, for whatever reason, maybe they're in an apartment building, maybe they're in a, in a house where the where there's no good angle for a satellite dish, cannot subscribe to regular DirecTV. So uh, that may have boosted their number somewhat, but still uh, significant to hit the one million mark. Yeah, absolutely, which is uh, probably number two to Sling TV. I think Sling TV is over a million uh, PlayStation views, under a million, uh, so, so is Fubo. But uh, looking at like, the, the number two streaming uh, platform out there. Now, moving on to TV ratings, uh, we don't have all of the numbers uh, but if you do want to see them, we'll publish them probably this weekend at worldsoccertalk.com. But the big one is uh, Arsenal against Man United on NBC uh, this past Saturday. And Kartik, maybe you can uh, shine some light on this one in terms of uh, the number and, and adding some context. Yeah, it cleared a million viewers, which uh, surprised me because we always hear, particularly from fans of, of Major League Soccer, how you can't compete with certain American sporting properties. And I had made the assumption that this game would would get a a, uh, a lower number, over a million, uh, as I mentioned. And it was going on at the same time as several college football championship games were going on. So it overlapped with uh, the... Um, the American Conference Championship between UCF and Memphis, it overlapped with the uh, uh, the Championship of Conference USA between Florida Atlantic, uh, here, our, our local university, your, your alma mater, actually, uh, Chris, and, uh, and uh, whoever they were playing. I think they might have been playing North Texas. And then, uh, uh, most importantly, the Big 12 Championship game featuring o- the Oklahoma Sooners, uh, one of the favorites, uh, one of the storied programs in college football, and Texas uh, Christian University, so uh, TCU. That was a huge game that was on fox over the air the uh ucf game was on abc over the air and yet nbc did a million for a premier league game i think that's a very significant number and to be honest with you i maybe it's an isolated data point but i've been as i think people know who follow me on twitter and listen to the show down on the ratings for soccer down on premier league ratings down on mls ratings uh this is a significant uh significantly higher number maybe my expectations have been uh, adjusted to being very negative, but this is a significant breakthrough in my mind going up against some very big American sporting properties that were being talked up all week on ESPN Sports Center and, and, and those sorts of programs. Yeah, it's, uh, I believe it's the third best number this season for NBC. Um, it goes back to kind of Kartik in terms of just the power of Manchester United in terms of their appeal nationwide to uh, fans in the U.S., even tons of Red Devils fans and um, – for the Premier League to be successful, continue, continue to be successful and grow in the United States, it's important for Man United to do well. Uh, but it does have a huge impact, as well as Arsenal. Of course, there's a ton of Arsenal supporters. Um, in other numbers, um, the Manchester City against West Ham game on Sunday, the NBCSN game. Now, this one for NBCSN and Telemundo combined got approximately 630,000 viewers. Uh, 253,000 of those were on Telemundo, which is a fantastic number. And then uh, 392,000 on NBCSN. So all in all, actually a decent number. And I think there's definitely, with Manchester City playing such a, an attacking, beautiful brand of football, I mean, they're becoming more and more appealing. And um, yeah, big numbers there too for uh, the Premier League. Now, Kartik, well, on the, the other extreme, 
the World Cup draw on FS1 on Friday uh, from 9.30 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, I can't believe how, how poor and how low those, these numbers were. Yeah, look, uh, this isn't meant to bash Fox uh, because it's just a reality. When you take any event from ESPN, especially uh, a, a big high-profile event that gets built up throughout the week on ESPN's Sports Center programs and other bumper programming, uh, and you take it from any ESPN network, particularly ESPN, but this the draw was actually on ESPN two four years ago. And Chris, you and I, uh, among others, were in Bristol for that event. Um, got some behind-the-scenes access to ESPN in, in 2013 for that. But you take any event from ESPN networks to FS1 or FS2, or particularly FS2, but FS1, the number is going to drop probably by 30%. So let's keep that in mind. Then you had the advent of the U.S. not being in the, uh, uh, in the draw, and you had um, – I think just also uh, maybe the, 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 the time being earlier than it had been um, with, with the draw in Brazil, and uh, but only by an hour or two. Uh, you had this combination to, 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 plat, to, to just absolutely tank the rating. I do want to mention something else in the context of this, um, this draw that I neglected to mention earlier, which is that um, ESPN – has also adopted, I think, the Fox philosophy towards Mexico to where uh, when you're watching another sporting event, so I decided I was going to watch a college basketball game or something on ESPN Friday night, and there would be the crawl, the scroll with uh, all the scores and uh, from the other. So then when it got to the World Cup draw, they make sure they went in detail about Mexico's group, but they didn't go into detail about anyone else's group. So I think uh, even ESPN, from a news angle, is adopting that, that very – um, Mexico-centric stand, and uh, in spite of doing that, that doesn't seem to have driven people to watch the draw. Yeah. To be honest, though, Kartik, um, and this is not not at you, but just in general, I'm, I'm really sick of the excuses. I mean, it, it's a poor number. 65,000 people watch this World Cup draw on FS1. Uh, meanwhile, over at Telemundo and Universal uh, Universo combined, was 370,000 people. But 65,000 viewers, I mean, that's, that's worse than some of the Bundesliga games that they get on, you know, on, uh, on a weekend, on, on a Friday, with uh, you know, Mines or, or some other team that uh, doesn't have a huge appeal. What, is it, what does this say? I mean, to me, first of all, I think Fox does a really poor job at promoting that they actually had the draw. I mean, how many people, maybe mainstream people, or how many people actually knew that this draw was happening? As an example, uh, I got press releases uh, to announce um, the coverage of, of the, the draw from BN, BN Sports. Uh, BN Sports had uh, live coverage this past weekend uh, on the English Channel and the Spanish Channel. I got press releases from Telemundo talking about their coverage. I got press releases from ESPN talking about how they were going to do kind of a post-match ESPN FC roundtable. I got nothing from Fox, not one press release, not one word. So, so that's part of the issue to me. It's not just me. It's, it's just the entire media. If the media is not being contacted to let them know that Fox has the draw, it's a big deal uh, to really play it up because for diehard soccer fans – the World Cup draw is a massive event, no matter if your country's in it or not. It's, it's, it is a huge occasion. I, I don't know. I'm just really disappointed uh, with that number. Uh, the Telemundo Universal number is also a little bit disappointing, given um, that uh, the numbers that Univision got, which were greater um, last time. Yes, the U.S. has a, an impact in this, in these numbers, but there's got to be a lot more soccer fans than 65,000 people 
tuning in for a draw on FS1. And, and to me, this, is, this sends some really just a warning signs to Fox in terms of they have to get their shit together for this World Cup because otherwise, you know, I mean, this is going to be a long haul. This is going to be uh, you mean, a disaster. And we've got lots of different ideas of how, what they can do, but uh, this is really pitiful. All right, Kartik, moving on to listener mailbags. So uh, the first one's from Sunny SoCal Rob 25 through uh, Twitter. And he says, I took a look at how ESPN Sports Center covered the World Cup draw with no USA. As soon as Sports Center came on the main ESPN, it was coverage about NFL and college football. The details about the World Cup groups were featured in the ticker at the bottom of the picture, as expected. Yeah, and uh, with an emphasis on, uh, on Mexico. As I said earlier, and that that I don't know if that's going to drive anything uh, for them. Uh, I, it's it's unfortunate. It, again, I think that um, it, you know, outside of having Max Bredos host SportsCenter very regularly, uh, which is good for soccer fans, you're not getting any kind of soccer centric thought from SportsCenter in the wake of the U.S crashing out of the World Cup, it's now gone back to the back of the line again. And that was the, the ramifications, and, and this goes back to my whole uh, feeling about how this country, unfortunately, has hitched its soccer fandom to a national team rather than to the organic uh, elements of a cl- uh, club or, or grassroots soccer. Uh, but they, they're just massive ramifications of the media. You don't see this sort of problem in Italy or Chile or the Netherlands, in countries, prominent soccer nations where their teams have not qualified for a World Cup. Uh, it has not impacted coverage of Serie A. It has not impacted coverage of football in that country or fo- coverage of football from that country in the English language press. So um, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. Yeah, in the U.S. so far, I mean, Kartik, it's been all doom and gloom. It's been like, oh, my gosh, it's the end of the world. The U.S. crash out of the World Cup. Uh, you mean layoffs at 442 and uh, you mean budget cuts here and there at Fox in terms of uh, everything that they had uh, planned for with um, U.S. being in the World Cup. Yes, it hurts. And yes, it's a, a factor. But to me, I mean, the World Cup and the sport is much bigger than your own national team. I mean, this is a, a global event. This is, you mean, to me, I mean, this, this is debatable, but it, to me, it's bigger than the, 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 the Summer Olympics. This is a massive, massive global uh, tournament featuring, it, it's focused on sports and on athletes, on unsung heroes, on, you mean, superstars, on, you mean, all these things coming together. To me, this is a fantastic opportunity for Fox and for Telemundo to really get their arms around this, to embrace it. And also the rest of soccer media in the United States. I mean, it's not the end of the world. The U.S. is not in it. If anything, it's an opportunity to help fix things and change things so that in the future there is a chance perhaps that the U.S. could go far you mean, to a final. Who knows? But um, this whole doom and gloom, I mean, to me, then it kind of rubs off on everyone, even the casuals that might be not into the World Cup because, I mean, they're a soccer diehard fan at, uh, at the office building. It's kind of uh, doom and gloom and not into, into the World Cup or not really excited about it. It rubs off on, on others. So I really hope that um, people start realizing that uh, – and really the media networks start realizing that, uh, you mean – the World Cup will go on without the United States, and it's still going to be a fantastic event. And if you're a soccer fan or a sports fan, sports fan especially, this is a fantastic opportunity to watch a tournament. Yes, not the best tournament in the world in terms of it being bloated than it was in the past, but still, you've got all these countries coming from around the world to watch this great game. 
All right, moving on. John Patrick Manning uh, tweeted uh, us, and he, he said, I thought the MLS Cup was this past Sunday, but it's not for yet another week. As you said on World Soccer Talk, fix the calendar. I'm a MLS season ticket holder. My earthquakes made the playoffs, knocked out of the first round, but that was 39 days ago, 46 days before MLS Cup. I've totally moved on. My other team is Man United, who have played eight matches since then, despite the international break. All right, moving on to Danny, and he tweeted us, and he says, uh, Upon hearing the interview that Will Soccer Talk did with uh, Rocco Camiso, I understand his whole point better than before. I heard him get angry at times also, and that was good because it shows he genuinely cares about football in this country like Eric Ronaldo. Shai Gardner sent in an email. He said, uh, first, I want to say thank you for all the amazing work you are doing when it comes to watching football on TV. Uh, to be honest, without all of the amazing information you give for free on your website, I may have been one of those persons who just resorted to paying ridiculous cable fees or when I can't see a game, go the old-fashioned route of streaming games online. Wink, wink. He says, however, with the information I obtained on the podcast and from the various free cheat sheets on the World Soccer Talk website, I have now gone the route of Sling Blue plus the Best of Spanish TV add-on, uh, which as an aside, I definitely recommend because you get all the, the BN Sports channels. I think you get the Univision channels too, uh, in addition to the Fox channels. Uh, it, it's a good package. Uh, he continues, he says, my focus was always uh, to see as many La Liga games as possible and a few Premier League games in addition to the Champions League. Although the, with this setup, I am also able to venture into other leagues as well. I really appreciate your podcast and website, and I thought uh, I would take the time to simply say thanks. Such a wonderful pod and the chemistry between the both of you are hilarious. Uh, may God bless you and keep up the awesome work. Well, thank you, Shai, for those uh, kind words. We really appreciate it. And uh, that's what we aim to do is really kind of get the information out there so that uh, soccer fans can make uh, uh, the best choices, the wisest choices possible in terms of all of the options out there. And last but not least, uh, Dennis Hernandez uh, tweeted this. He says, you mentioned in the podcast that the UEFA Nations League would no longer permit uh, friendlies to take place. But with the Nations League having groups of three, national teams would only be playing on four out of the six days of the, of the September, October, and November fixtures, this would still allow for two dates of friendlies. Yeah, that's correct. I, I've, I've, uh, thank you, Dennis. I've, I've uh, corrected my analysis of that, seeing that. I think previously it, the, uh, there were too many friendly dates on the calendar. Now with two, and then you go right into Euro qualifying after, it's probably too few. I don't know what the balance is, but... Um, I, I prefer to have a Nations League than not have a Nations League and have just a bunch of friendlies. So um, I'm positive about this. And we're going to talk a little bit, I think, about this topic uh, in our future topic of the week with uh, Amy Rosenfeld. Absolutely. So if you do have any questions, feedback, uh, comments, anything, you name it, uh, about uh, watching soccer TV on TV, online or apps, uh, email us at web at worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, you can tweet us at wsoccertalk or hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. And we'd be more than happy to read out your, your comments or questions on air. Now, Kartik, moving on to our feature topic of the week. And this week, we have an interview with Amy Rosenfeld from ESPN to preview the MLS Cup, as well as to discuss other matters, uh, soccer TV related. Um, just to mention in terms of this interview, we re recorded it on Wednesday, so the Wednesday afternoon, I believe it was, and it was before the ESPN FC interview with Kathy Carter, 
uh, just to put the interview into context. Any other thoughts you want to share before we uh, hit play on this interview? Yeah, I think it'll be fascinating for people to, to hear the level and depth of production for this MLS Cup coming up on, on Saturday. I- exciting event, obviously, for so many uh, on the North American soccer calendar. And then we get a little bit into uh, to big events and, and Euros and the World Cups and, and of course, uh, also the uh, uh, prefaced, uh, uh, just uh, uh, mentioned UEFA Nations League. Yeah, plus we have a couple of exclusives in there too. I think Amy reveals some interesting insights in terms of some of the work that uh, ESPN has been doing, uh, not related to the MLS Cup final, uh, that should uh, open some eyes in terms of uh, what they've been doing behind the scenes. So so thanks to Amy for uh, sharing some of those details, and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy the interview. We'll be right back right after it. All right, everyone. Well, we're pleased to have a special guest on the uh, World Soccer Talk podcast this week, and it is Amy Rosenfeld, who's the senior coordinating producer at ESPN. Amy, how are you? I'm, I, as I said before we started, I'm in a little bit of awe because I have a long commute here to Bristol from Massachusetts, and your podcast accompanies me, so it's really it's it's sort of awe-inspiring to actually be able to morph uh, what I listen to live. So um, it's it's you guys are good company on 84 to the Mass Pike, and hopefully I'll be entertaining. <laughs> okay. So so Amy, for those listeners who may not uh, be as familiar um, with your 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 work, but also kind of your vision, what would you say is your philosophy on the way that uh, you produce soccer for ESPN? Well, first and foremost, um, I'm a tremendous soccer fan. I, uh, my father introduced me to soccer. He um, grew up in the uh, Depression in Middle Village, Queens, and his neighborhood, you know, everybody was an immigrant, and so he was very early on exposed to soccer, and, you know, soccer and hockey were his two main sports, so I have been a fan, you know, since I came out of the womb. And I think um, the philosophy that we have here is to try to um, always be able to present the match without getting in the way, to be always sort of additive to the viewer without being intrusive without interrupting if you are sitting at home and you are you have a lot of body english this is what my father used to complain about he wanted to be on the main game camera the entire time if 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 we get in the way of your ability to view the game appreciate the game understand the game then we have completely lost the plot so we are always trying to be additive uh, with everything we do. And I think the other thing is, and listen, I think ESPN, you know, learned this lesson, um, that it is important to speak to a soccer-savvy audience, that the game is so great that that we don't really have to teach people necessarily, that the hope is that we are inclusive to a new audience, but that they're coming aboard because they see the great product and not because we have to do a lesson on the offside rule. So I think, you know, we, this talk of like, 
talking down to the viewer, you know, that's certainly something that we never want to do. Because as a fan, I I don't want to be talked down to. I want to be invited in and and appreciate the the game without being insulted or um, feeling like I'm... uh, you know, that I'm not part of the club, you could say. Now, what can you tell us about Saturday's MLS Cup final from a uh, ESPN television coverage perspective? Is there anything new or newsworthy uh, worth mentioning in terms of uh, the way that this, this, I mean, the biggest game of the season for Major League Soccer is going to be produced? Yeah, I see. I was doing a little bit of uh, research because I've been involved in a lot of MLS Cups, and I believe we might be at the point of the most cameras that we've ever incorporated into an ESPN or ABC uh, MLS Cup. I think we're at 34 now. Um, Now, those are not all manned cameras, and uh, some of those cameras are shared. Our, Our partners at TSN have graciously given a couple of their cameras. So we are we are well covered with cameras. Now, there's a danger there because sometimes when you have a lot of toys, you get a little giddy and you do what we call overcutting or, you know, exactly what my father would hate, which is he, he's happy if there's just camera one. Um, but we're really excited to have, you know, I think Skycam brings a lot to soccer, uh, especially as a replay or setting up a set piece. We'll have Skycam. Um, I, I am uh, really proud of our soccer group here at ESPN who independently developed these goalpost cams that are used. It's only, as far as I'm aware, no one anywhere in the world are using these cameras embedded in the goalpost. And I think it really, there's an example where I feel was additive to the viewer's experience because it really gives a definitive view of of the goal line. So we, we're going to have those. So we have two of those in each net. They're at different heights, so two on each net. And then we're kind of playing around. We'll see, we'll see what you guys think. Once again, you know, after a game, we're sitting around uh, drawing cocktail napkin trying to figure out what's an, another cool thing to add. We're playing around with, you know, if we figure now with these goalpost cams, we kind of own the goal line. So we, you viewers, will be able to have that definitive look. What's the next thing that we would like to provide a definitive replay look? And I kept sort of coming back to, to the penalty box. So we're playing around with a small camera that's basically on a very long pole and sort of utilizing it as a lockdown camera to frame kind of that penalty area. This is not super innovative. I mean, we played around when I used to do WUSA way back in the day. We had, you know, robotic cameras on, on at different heights and such. But I think we're just kind of playing around with other ways, especially with replay, to provide to you, the viewers, you know, that definitive, wow, yeah, he was in the, the takedown was in the box, or wow, did you see how he shook that defender right in front of the keeper or whatever. One, one more question before I let uh, Kartik jump in. Kartik, um, so, so one question 
uh, Amy, is what about drones? Have you ever thought in terms of like overhead shots, whether it's uh, you mean whether it's a chopper or something like that? But any uh, kind of experimentation with drones, as far as kind of at least having a different uh, angle of maybe uh, the stadium from up above, or, or the fans coming into the stadium, or anything like that. Yeah, no, I mean, you think like a producer, absolutely, you know, there's great interest in drones in, in a lot of coverage. Um, when, uh, when I used to work on X Games, we actually integrated live drone coverage into some of the ski and snowboard racing. Um, the issue with drones, as you can imagine, although this is getting better, is that the restrictions flying over human beings is is pretty great. So we're making progress in terms of the sophistication of of the drones themselves, the quality of the certified pilots of the drones, um, the you know prox. It used to be people had to be a certain distance away. That now they can be a little closer. But you're you're absolutely right. That will be, in my opinion, sort of that next stage of really trying to capture. Um, the athleticism, the speed, the scope and scale of an event, uh, that, that'll be the next version. So we're trying. Um, you know, we are, through the generosity of TSN, they're actually going to have a chopper for the game. So we'll have that sort of classic aerial coverage. But you're right, the drones lend themselves then to, like, really being intimate while still being able to provide some scale. Amy, uh, thanks for taking the time to join us today uh, with this uh, big MLS Cup broadcast that I think we're all excited about coming up. Uh, was wondering, since this match is in Canada, it's in Toronto, and you have uh, an established partnership with uh, TSN, how much of a role will they play in your production? And does that, in fact, enhance your capabilities because you've got uh, TSN also on site in Toronto broadcasting the match? Oh, yeah, absolutely, for sure, it helps to have a partner. Although I will say, as a long-time partner, maybe not from a business sense, but really from a personal sense, um, you know, Univision, Univision and ESPN have, have partnered on a lot of projects. And uh, as much as we are uh, competitors, we also are partners because, you know, look, it doesn't make sense for everybody. Back in the day, we used to do these things called side-by-sides, which means Amy would have her cameras and Kardec would have his cameras. They would be in the exact same positions. Well, that just doesn't make any sense for anybody. So I think, you know, on many sports, but really soccer, because it's the soccer broadcasting community is, is a small one, and we've all worked together a long time. We recognize that there are benefits to just presenting the game, you know, in a big way. So, for example, you know, we're giving all our cameras to Univision. They've returned the favor many times. We, we've, you know, gotten each other out of jams in foreign countries in terms of power and access and whatever. So, yeah, TSN, absolutely, you know, we have a very strong relationship. We are taking a bunch of their cameras and, and as I mentioned the the chopper but you know it's really you know we're sort of all in this together so you know you Univision will have access we don't hold anything back 
from Univision's ability to either take our produced feed or cut to our individual cameras. Let me ask about the uh, the timing decision and the programming decision. You've got a four-hour window for this match, which uh, uh, seems real exciting for those of us who, who want an end-to-end kind of uh, bumper programming on either side. As well, you've got a lead-in coming from uh, from college basketball, uh, Indiana-Louisville game, which is a, a big rivalry and a, a game that a lot of people, including myself, will watch. Um, were all of those considerations, you've got a four-hour window for the first time and you've got a lead-in from a big college basketball game, which I don't believe you've had in the past. Uh, uh, was that all worked on uh, within the framework of trying to improve the number this time? Yeah, I mean, I think, look, it, and it's been a topic that I, you know, listen to as I, uh, as I travel the mass pipe that you guys have talked about at length. We're all trying to find the sweet spot on, on time, network, day of the week, lead-in. So, you know, it's exciting. It's exciting, first and foremost, to have a, a good lead-in. It's exciting because it, it's on ESPN. It's exciting because there's some breathing room to, you know, do a good show. It's exciting because there's breathing room if the, if the thing goes to penalties. Um, and, and you want to get, obviously, the, you want to see somebody, you know, lift the cup uh, on linear television. Um, so, you know, these are all the, the scheduling that when we have games, this is, this is the thing we're constantly tweaking. You know, is it better? It's clearly better to be on ESPN. And we, I think right now for 2018, the target is to have of the 36 regular season windows, I think we're aiming to have 32 on ESPN. Like, that's great. That's, that's going to help any way you slice it because it's, um, you know, it, as much as, as we love ESPN, too, ESPN is sort of like a, a, a bigger destination for, for viewers. Then you have to wrestle with, do you want – Great lead-ins all the time. So, like we, you're right. We we have a, a nice hoop game leading in, uh, or do you want consistent time slots? So, I mean, I feel like you know we've done sort of kick the tires on many different versions. I mean, the good news is playoffs uh, ratings are up. You know, up is up. It may be, you know, uh, sort of this this one-time thing. I hope it isn't, but there's some nice momentum here. So we got to figure out what's going, is it just, you know, the interest in Columbus? Is it overall interest? I think we all have challenges with the nature of the, the schedule and the season, but, you know, my long-winded answer to your concise question, we absolutely take into account, you know, how how can we benefit MLS by its placement. So, you know, we're on the air at 4 o'clock. We're kicking at 4.30. There's some, you know, a little bit of breathing room here if, um, you know, the hoop, if the hoop should go a little bit long. So all these things, we have the benefit of a lot of events on our network, and sometimes those events kind of collide into each other. But hopefully this placement will 
we'll give it a nice rating. Switching, my switching, last question. I'm sorry. Switching gears for a second, uh, Amy. How hard is it going to be uh, to watch the World Cup this summer, um, knowing that ESPN <laughs> isn't broadcasting it, and knowing that you've worked so intimately with, with these productions in the past uh, that were, I mean, really world class? Boy, he really, like, gets to the nitty-gritty. I thought there'd be, like, a few warm-up questions before I got to spill my guts emotionally. You know, uh, look, I'd be, I would be lying if I said I'm, I'm not massively, you know, uh, let's see. I, see, there's the emotional part of me, and then I got to keep the pragmatic part of me that's an employee of ESPN. Personally, uh, I am very disappointed that uh, that that we no longer produce World Cups. However, I am a soccer fan, so I am excited to watch the World Cup. Uh, it, it's interesting. The Women's World Cup, um, the first one Fox did, was very tough for me. I think it's getting a little easier. I really was surprised at how difficult it was for me personally to actually watch and of course I'm a huge fan. I quickly sort of got over that and then really enjoyed the coverage. They did a spectacular job and you know it was an exciting tournament. It it's really hard because there are so many people here at ESPN. One thing people don't know, the peop the, the bulk of the people who work on soccer at ESPN are massive soccer fans who have been forever. So they put their heart and soul, you know, into World Cup and Euros and such. And this company, I think you saw with South Africa and Brazil, really puts its armor behind it. So the ESPN was all in on South Africa, all in on Brazil. So, you know, that's a void as a television producer that it's very hard to replace. But, you know, you have to – we were excited to do Euros. We're excited to do another Euros. And, um, you know, you just have to move on. I, um, I, I, they have a lot of challenges. I'm, I'm hopeful uh, and see – I shouldn't say hopeful. I'm confident they will do a really good job. They know big-time television, and they certainly know soccer. They have challenges that we always face being uh, in another country, um, what is the political climate, um, what are the internal issues in that country, what are the logistics, how, how big is the country. It's, it's going to be, I wish them well because it's going to be hard. And, and it's funny because, you know, we've done World Cup in South Africa, Brazil, we did Euros in Ukraine and Poland, and we all kept saying, oh, finally, you know, we're going to do a Euros in France. We deserve this. It's been, you know, really tough on some of these other events. And then, to be honest, Euros was the hardest event I've ever done in my career because, you know, we spent a year and a half solidifying our host set location, and a week before the event, we have to find a replacement because the Seine has flooded. So, and then we had tear gas in the compound because there was a labor strike. And then there was the daily 
issue of terrorism and risk and this bag was left on the corner and no one's no one's near the bag whose bag is it okay we're going to do a controlled explosion and oh by the way we have terrible hooligan situation going on in marseille so it, it it's interesting that france ended up being the hardest one i've ever worked on so i am just you know really i i'm i'm wishing them uh, a lot of good luck uh, because it's it's going to be tough. But they're up to it. They're up to it. I really think that um, that they will do a terrific job. Yeah, Amy. Following up on the World Cup, uh, you have the rights for the European Nations League, which is a new kind of exciting tournament. If our listeners don't know about it, uh, read up on it. It's something that I think most uh, soccer fans embrace. Uh, what are your tentative coverage plans for that? Well, I think you know it's interesting. I'll be very curious to sort of get the vibe on how people feel about this. I mean, I think that having something. I'll be curious what you guys think. Having something that isn't just a bunch of friendlies, uh, I think is a good thing. I think competition that has meaning. So, you know, this competition will factor into Euro qualifying. So there's, you know, there's some incentive. It's, it's also got a little bit of a pro-rel, you know, model, which I, I know you guys are excited to talk pro-rel. I actually, I think that we will, I cannot, I cannot look you guys in the eye over the phone and say that it's going to be on the scale of euros. That's just not practical. But in the same vein, it is our hope to make it more than, than qualifying. Like certainly when we get to, you know, the finals, We'd like to, you know, do something special there because it does have meaning. It's, it's, I worry a teeny bit about oversaturation. And frankly, I wasn't in love when UEFA expanded the Euro field. I think that took away something special about, about Euros, uh, adding more teams. But I'm intrigued by this and certainly it, it deserves um, a higher echelon of coverage than just, you know, a regular qualifier. Yeah, I think it's one of those things. It's uh, kind of the jury's out because we, we haven't seen any of the games. And, and I think at the end of the day for the UEFA Nations League, it all depends how uh, how serious these nations take it. And I think within the first probably couple of game days, um, I think we'll, we'll, we'll know whether this is, is going to be a hit or not. In theory, in concept, it looks like it's going to be a big hit, but uh, we'll have to see what, what happens on the pitch. I think that's where it matters the most. At least, at least that's my, my uh, viewpoint. Now, Amy, last, last question is, um, if the opportunity presented itself, uh, would you be interested, uh, ESPN, in hosting a, a USSF presidential debate? <laughs> the only reason I'm laughing, so I'll give you a, a little inside poker, and, and maybe this will get me in trouble, maybe it won't. So, um, you know, our president here at ESPN, John Skipper, massive soccer fan, and really he deserves the bulk of the credit for ESPN's growth in the sport and increasing our production value and, and our approach and all of that. So this is actually, you got to ask Bob Lee about this. He'll get a good kick out of this. 
So way back when, when the um, uh, FIFA presidential uh, campaign, if you want to call it that, was going on, um, Skipper had the idea, hey, let's host a debate. So I'm hucking over to Zurich trying to find a location. Our programming guys are like daily talking to all the different candidates, trying to get them all together in one place, and that was a challenge. And um, so we spent, oh, man, I'm going to say like a couple of months. We were doing daily calls. Bob Lee still laughs about the 3 o'clock calls because we would do daily calls to sort of say, hey, you know, what's the update? Oh, this guy's in. Oh, this guy's out. This guy won't be in if this guy's in. And it was like a nightmare, as you can imagine. So finally we just said, you know, forget it. So it's interesting, as this U.S. soccer uh campaign has, um, as the candidate pool has increased and gotten very interesting, you know, look, I, I think it would make for interesting TV, probably for a little bit of a niche audience, um, and there's somehow, you know, Taylor Twelman asking this panel questions, and somehow Craig Burley asking this panel, which actually would just be high high comedic value just because of Craig and his love of U.S. soccer. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. I can't, you know, I don't make those decisions. Would I, you know, would I like to watch it as a, as a fan? I think it would be very interesting. I'll tell you, it very interesting race right now. Um, I, uh, it, it just gets more and more interesting. And I think it's good for soccer because, you know, it keeps it in the, uh, it keeps in the conversation. I'll give you a little, a little, I don't know when you guys are going to post this, but we, uh, Twelman has a sit down with, um, Commissioner Garber. And rather than, you know, bring him out to the set at halftime live, we thought, hey, wouldn't it be better if we could get more time? There's so many topics. Can we get a longer sit-down? So he's graciously offered to sit down for quite some time with Mr. Twelman, and certainly, you know, the the race will be a topic among lots of topics. But, you know, it's it's good for business to have this all going on. Absolutely. Yeah, it would be wonderful television. The, the, the interview with Don Garber, the sit-down interview, is that going to be on, on Saturday or, or at another time that's going to air? You no, know, no, it'll be Saturday. But here's, here's um, sort of our feeling about it is we're, 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 shooting, it, um, we're shooting it Thursday night. We're going to edit it Friday, but I'm going to give it to, you know, we're, we like to get news out there fast, so we'll give it to ESPN FC, we'll, it'll be on digital, so there'll be snippets all over the place, so there'll be plenty of, the goal would be, you know, to get virtually all of it somewhere for you guys. Excellent. Well, yeah, definitely looking forward to that. Well, Amy, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to speak with you, and we really appreciate your time. And, and best of luck to you this weekend with the MLS Cup final. We'll definitely be watching, and I'm sure we'll be talking about the, the TV coverage, both Kartik and I, uh, probably in, in the next podcast. Do you think you'll be gentle or not so much? I'll just have to decide. Am I pulling over at a rest stop, or am I going to continue to drive? And you, you guys tell me. No, all, all kidding aside... Um, we here at ESPN definitely take feedback. I mean, the soccer, 
the soccer television community is is in my I've worked on a lot of sports is the most passionate, and you hear about it if you do something wrong. So, you know, we really we want to hear what you want, and if we're doing something that is drastically against what you want, we're going to try to change that because you know we're here for you. So, you know, keep keep those comments coming. We will, absolutely. So we, we will definitely still uh, remain honest as always and uh, for the, both the positives and the negatives and, and the in-betweens. But Amy, once again, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, Kartik, so uh, where can listeners find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at KKFLA737 and uh, Facebook, Carter Krishnire, uh, Google Plus, same thing uh, with my name. And uh, obviously uh, writing over at World Soccer Talk, uh, among some other places, worldsoccertalk.com. That's our website. Yeah, and I believe uh, pr- probably next week, Kartik, I think we'll probably do our last uh, episode of the year before we take a break for the holidays. Uh, so definitely tune in for that one uh, next Thursday. Uh, definitely thanks for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, AudioBoom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. And if you like the show, share it with your friends or on social media or give us a review on iTunes. We'd greatly appreciate it. And Kartik, what should they do? Enjoy your football. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.